Let's dive into our message today. I'm excited. This message is a little more personal and close to my heart. Go ahead and get that, that uh, title screen, Miss Tandria. As most of you know, me and Pastor Keith, we, we collaborate making these messages. But for the most part, Pastor Keith, he probably does 90% of the messages. I usually make about four to five sermon series every year. And for coming back, Pastor Keith gave me the green light for these next couple weeks to have to, to come up with my own sermon series. So I'm extra excited and fired up for this. And the title of our message today is God's Plan, Live, Love, and Lead. Someone say this with me. God's got a plan. God's got a plan for you, for me, for your neighbor. Tell them, say, hey, God's got a plan for you. And it doesn't matter if you're born again. It doesn't matter if you are not currently in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That all can change today. No matter how amazing your life is, no matter how hard your life may be, God still has a plan. But what I want to do is I want to filter this message not through this prosperity gospel that, that the, 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 the American church does such a great job of it, and God is all about blessings, and he's all about prospering you. But when I say that word, God's got a plan, I have a feeling, I feel like a lot of us, we kind of just revert to that autopilot spiritual mentality of God wants to bless me. He wants, he wants to give me the things that I need, and, and he does. But what I want you to see is God's plan has to be found. And if you can search wholeheartedly for him, then, somebody say then. Then his blessings and promises and prosperity are added onto us. And when that happens, it should make us fall deeper in love with him, not deeper in love with the blessings. So many people worship the blessings and they forget about the blesser. And so I feel like the Lord's really going to use this for somebody who maybe is not born again, saved. Maybe there's somebody here in the house. God is going to deal with your heart today, and he wants to know he loves you and he's for you. But for those of us who've been living this life with Jesus, a life of faith, I think he's going to resensitize us. You know what? I, I believe in God. I believe in his plan, but I'm not necessarily excited and joyful as I'm living in his plan. I'm thinking of the destination. I'm thinking of the next thing, and it's robbing me of where I currently am. Sound good? Sound good? Let's dive in. I want to give you that first point today. Let's unpackage this first thought, and we'll dive into Scripture. So, God's plan. Who believes he's got one? I want to show you that his plan is, is big. There's a lot in his plan, but I feel like the Holy Spirit pinpointing this one little four-letter word. His plan is all about hope, right? God's plan is to instill hope in his children. When we activate God's hope, we live, love, and we lead in a revolutionary way. Since we know an eternal hope, we are equipped to help a hurting world. I can think of my life long before I ever became a campus pastor, long before I ever became a husband and a father, I was a sinner. I was addicted to drugs, to alcohol, 
to pornography. I didn't necessarily enjoy people, places, or things. I was miserable. Pastor Ian, why were you miserable? Because I didn't have any hope. I didn't have any hope, so I hated my life. I hated others. I hated my job. I hated myself. And when you hate yourself, you live in a radically different way. What is God's plan? He wants prodigal sons and daughters all over the nation, all over the world, all over the nations. Even, even sons and daughters that are already at home with the Lord to know and remember that there is hope. There's hope for you. When Jesus Christ redeemed my life, everything changed. He, he literally took the blinders off my eyes. I began to see different. I began to hear different. And it all started in a place of hope. How did God's plan to get Ian a sinner, lost in his sin, to get him to a place as a pastor? There was a major process. He moved a sinner from Michigan to become a pastor in Holly Pond, Alabama. How did that happen? instilled hope in my heart. You better believe, even when I prayed that prayer to accept Jesus, a lot didn't change. I still had court cases. I still didn't have a license. I still don't have any money. I still don't have anywhere to live. I still had broken relationships that God had to rebuild. A lot had to, had to be transformed. But guess what did change? Instantaneously, he gave me peace. And it's how I stayed the course because I bought into the fact that Jesus Christ has hope for me. And when you buy in to that fact that Jesus Christ has hope for you, you'll live different. You'll love others different. And you'll even lead yourself and others different in a revolutionary way. When you know that hope, you begin to live radically different lives. Now let me double back for a second. I get that some of us have been living for Jesus for a while. You love Jesus, you believe in Jesus. But what has happened is life, life has happened. You may have a mortgage, you may have car payments, you may have really teenagers, you may have sleepless babies. And you believe in Jesus, but you don't have any joy. You get up every day, you, you hate going to work. It's tough coming home. You believe in Jesus, but you you put on the mask, you're not you're you're not living in joy. You act like you have happiness. What if I told you the reason you don't have joy? It's not because you're not a good Christian, it's not because you don't believe in God, but it's because you've lost your hope. There's something to be hopeful for. Can I get an amen? Amen. And God gives us that hope to equip us to be hope in a hopeless world. You know what happened if you went to work tomorrow morning filled with hope? It might wear off on some others, right? And you might 
you might, God might begin to build your life through what you, not just what you believe, but what you start to say and what you begin to, to, to look like and to sound like and to live like and love like and lead like. Right? So I want to open my Bibles together. Look at Jeremiah 29, 11. Before I read this with you guys together, I've shared this before, but I just want to share it again. As I just shared a little bit about where I was. The first time I ever read this scripture, it was a day or two after I had prayed to accept Jesus. I was in my top bunk in Teen Challenge, living with about 80 other guys in a year-long living ministry program. I had never read the Bible other than opening the page one, because that's how you read any old book, right? Do you know as you read the Bible, it's spirit-filled? And so I had nowhere to start, but I really sincerely was praying, God, I I heard the pastor that day, I need to understand your word, and it's like overwhelming. And You know when you cry out to God from a sincere place, he'll meet with you? I don't know where to turn, where to begin. I, and I'm not going to advocate Bible bingo, but that's kind of what I did. I, I opened my Bible, and it opened right up to Jeremiah 29, 11. Any, any people who have been a Christian longer than 10 years, raise your hand. You know this is a world-famous verse, right? It's on coffee cups. It's on everything. But guess who didn't know it was a world-famous verse? Me. <laughs> or Jeremiah, Pastor Rob. Great, great answer. <laughs> but Ian did not know. You know, all I knew was that it spoke directly to my heart. It was a promise that God wanted to deposit in my life. And so I want this to deposit into your life today. Let's read it together. I want to give you three verses. Jeremiah 29, 11, y'all are going to know. But I want to elaborate with what he says beyond that. But this is where we get the title of our message. It says, for I know the what? Plans. There's that word. Highlight that word. Put that in the chat with us today if you're with us online. Plans. God has a plan. I have plans for you, says the Lord. They are for plans for what? Good and not disaster. God is for us to give you a future and a hope. Some of you need to remember that, revisit that. God has a future and a hope for you, no matter what it looks like. This is what we need to remember. Look at verse 12. In those days when you, I will, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. Day one, Christian Ian, when I read this verse, these verses, the part that jumped out to me was, I have a plan and a future and a hope for you. Who needed that to take root in his life? Me, because I was on death's door. But as we just read, and you read farther, being a Christian over 15 years now, what jumps out to me is, that plan and promise and future and hope must be sought out. God has a plan, but it must be found. You have to search every day wholeheartedly for God's things, for God's plan, for God's future, and for God's hope for your life. You have to physically search for Him. And he begins to download things in our lives. He begins to speak to us. 
in a real way and meet with us in a real way. Something really cool happened the last couple weeks as we were taking time off. Did y'all survive the snowpocalypse? I forgot to put that in the intro. That happened already since we've been gone. I, I was at home for a whole nother week with the boys and we got to play and have fun. But one of the, the, the things that Xander and Bodie love to do the most right now is play hide and seek. They love it. The funny thing is they always hide in the exact same place. <laughs> so Xander say, let's play, let's play. And Bodie just follows Xander wherever he goes. It's hilarious. But so I usually start in the living room, sit on the couch, and he tells me to count, so I count. When I, I get to 20, what do I say? Ready or not, here I come. As soon as I say that, you can hear them laughing. <laughs> they always run in their room and hide under Xander's covers on his bed. The innocence of a child. But what I have to do is, to make it fun for me and keep it fresh, but also fun for them is, I act like I'm looking, what? And uh, everywhere else, right? So I start coming down the hallway, I open up the one closet door, and I shut it, and I go, oh, geez, and they start laughing. You know, and I get in their room, and I act like I'm looking behind the door, and they're laughing and giggling. I find them in the same place every time. The Lord shared with me that his plan must be sought out. It has to be found. I have to search for him wholeheartedly when I pray. He'll listen. When I seek, I'll find. He said, I'm not hard to find. I'm in the same place every day. Let me phrase that. I'm in the same places every day. I'm in my word. Is that hard to search? You ain't got to go far to, to find them. He said, I'm in my house. Y'all are in church. Praise God. Give yourself a hand. You're searching for him today. If you come here, you'll experience God. I'm not saying we're perfect, but if you come here, you will experience God if you search for him. He said, you'll find me in prayer. If you search for him, you'll find him in the same places. He's there. He's waiting. You know, there's a saying that we have at Liberty Church. It's, good morning. What if we start our day saying, good morning, Holy Spirit, and then follow that up with, ready or not, here I come. And just as Xander and Bodhi giggle, maybe God is laughing and a joyful exuberance over us. My child, he's, he's looking for me today. I hope he finds me. Guess what happens when I find him? They lose it. They love it. Your father will rejoice over you when you find him. Amen. <clears throat> Look at the next point. The cold hard facts is, unfortunately, we live in a world that would much rather, out of necessity and easiness, search for self instead of search for God. We live in a world that's, that seeks self rather than God. This is whose plan? Who wants God's plan? Then stop dabbling in Satan's plan. Right? When we seek and follow God, we see that our lives are not even about us. The more you search for God, the more you're going to feel His love, the more you're going to feel His forgiveness, His mercy, His grace. It's going to saturate your life, and then that will fall and saturate on those that you love and care about, your family and your friends and those that you work with because you've been diligent in seeking God. You experience His provisions and promise and plans fulfilled in your life. That's God's plan. 
But when we decide to take our own way, our own path, that's when we reap the fruits of those decisions. What you sow, you reap. If I sow selfishness, it's what I reap. Who wants you to be selfish more than anybody else? Satan himself. When you are losing your mind, when you're losing your cool, what happened? You just forgot to seek God. You didn't pray about it. You're letting this little thing, this little fox, devour your, your vine. He's, he's sneaking in. You've cracked the door. You've opened it up. You probably forgot to read your word that day. You probably forgot to pray. You probably forgot to just slow down and take a breath. Let's do that together. Y'all, our world is nuts. It's going a million miles an hour, and it's headed straight to hell. And if you're not careful, you will find yourself on that highway doing life just like everybody else. Why does God want you to live in his plan and have his hope? So that you can live a radically different life, so you can love others in a radically different way, so that you can lead others off of that path. God wants to change your life so that maybe you can help change somebody else's life. The quarterback of the Michigan football team, his name's J.J. McCarthy. Awesome young man, seems very bright, but I know he's not a Christian middle of one of the games, it was either the Rose Bowl or the National Championship game, the announcers were talking about his preparation. Now, granted, this is a, they're talking about him as a high school kid, just a 17, 18 year old kid. They were talking about his life and how he prepares for games and they said at a young age in high school, he's admitted that he was very depressed and sad and his life was a mess. And he decided just to, to Google how to help that. And guess what popped up? You need to not seek God or, or, or pray. You need to just meditate. And so this young man has been doing that. It's, it's, it's helped him in a lot of ways. You can see him before games. He sits in the end zone and he sits there and he does his Shangri-Las or whatever they call it and he's meditating. But in that moment, the Holy Spirit just it, it grieved my heart. We live in a world, guys, that'll search for Google before it searches for God. And you have probably had to use Google for some serious things and maybe some unserious things. But m maybe that's seek God for everything. Right? He's ready, He's available. He wants to help you. He wants to help me. He wants to help us. And he's just waiting for people to fellowship and seek and follow after him. Seeking and following is a physical thing that has to happen. When, when dad has to go look for Xander and Bodie, even though I know where they're at, I physically have to go find them. Every day, you physically... It's for the sake of your sanity, your joy, your peace, and the power that God wants to give you to live radically, love radically, and lead radically. 
Before you find him, you can't do those things. When you find him, then, somebody say then. Then his spirit is, is poured out and manifested in and through our lives. Amen? God's plan is simple. He wants us to have life. He wants us to love. He wants us to lead. What's the devil's plan? Death, destruction, depression. How have you been mentally this last week? I hope you've been living in life, hope and joy and peace. But have you been experiencing depression, destruction, destructive thoughts, death, decay? Do you have joy? Get off, God, get off Satan's plan and hop on God's plan. Amen? I'll give you a few verses. Look at Galatians 2.20. As we follow God, we see that our lives are not even about us. God wants to bless us, but, but, but look, look, step one is we need to be crucified with Christ. Look at verse 20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and what? I no longer live. The desires that I have are crucified with his, his passions. But it's Christ that lives in me. The life I now live, I live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When Christ lives in you, you'll know it. First, you got to die. To who? You. And I'm not saying, and, and, and Christ is not saying it, and I believe Paul wrote Galatians. Paul is not saying that you can't enjoy your life. Jesus died so that you can enjoy your life, but your life can't be all about you. That's how our world does life. Get yours. Get back at them. Get yours and more. Get it faster. Go harder. No, you have to crucify yourself with him. You know what's so crazy is when God saved me, everything that Ian did before God saved me was I either had to be drunk or high to do it and enjoy it. If I went to the movies, I was wasted. If I hung out with my friends, there had to be drinking or drugs going on. If I went to a family function, I had to be drunk. I had to be high. I was, I was living in Satan's plan. I was depressed. He, he was destructing my life. It was, it was destructive. When I was born again and gave my life to Jesus, I had to crucify those desires, those evil desires. And I remember when that first happened, like my heart was like, Jesus, I need you. But then later that day, my mom was like, wait, what am I going to do if I live this out? If I've really followed Jesus, my life's going to have to radically change. How did he do that? He transformed my desires. And what did he do? He made them his. And even little gifts that I already had that I was kind of smart on, but maybe not fully focused in, God began to bring those to the surface. Things that I never thought really could be used, God began to use them, purify them, so that I could live radically, love radically, lead radically, bring them to the top to be used for His kingdom. If you can die to self, and let your life be enveloped with his life. He will use you. Who wants to be used by God? 
And it's okay if you're a little shy. You know, maybe you're new to church. That can sound like a kind of a confident, bold statement. That's not a statement used in arrogance. That's, that's, a, that's a hungry statement, right? God, I want you to use me because what you did for me, I want somebody else to experience that, right? That comes from a, a pure motive of, I'm not doing this for me so that I can show off my gifts or that God, that you can shine your magnificent light on me so others can applaud you or me. It's so that others can come to know Jesus. And if that can be your desires and your motives, God will use you in a radical way. Amen. Look at that next scripture, Luke 9, 23 through 25. It says, then he said to the crowd, this is Jesus. If any of you wants to be my followers, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But, someone say but. If you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And, when, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you yourself are destroyed? If you can, can lay your life down for him, then he will grant you life, supernatural energy, supernatural hope, love, and joy for him to use you and minister through you. To be used by God and experience those things and enjoy his plan and promises, we got to give up our own way. Look at that next point. Look what this thought says. God's plan is manifested through personal sacrifice. Think of that for a second. God's plan is manifested through personal sacrifice. Selfish Christianity is toxic to God's plan. When believers intentionally live, love, and lead, we mark the world and others for Jesus. God's kingdom cannot come without sacrifice. Who reads the Old Testament? If you, if you don't or haven't, you still need to read it. It's important. It all reveals Christ. What did they have to do, the Israelites, back in the day? You had the first thing you had to, the first thing you had to do was bring a sacrifice of an animal. Something had to die to cover their sins. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I don't have to sacrifice a goat or a bull every single day or once a year at the festival of unleavened bread or whatever festival God calls us to, festival Passover. Why don't we have to do that? What did Jesus do? He's the eternal sacrifice. For God's kingdom to be manifested, something has to die. As we just celebrated communion today, what did we do? We shared in, we prayed and said, God, we want to share in your sufferings. As we just read in Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives within me. For God's plan to be manifested in your life, personal sacrifice is required. This selfish Christianity has got to go. I, I'm not, I don't want to bash other churches, and we're far from it, and we can be probably guilty of this, but we have watered down the gospel and turned it into this prosperity gospel. And I've even been guilty of 
telling new believers, you know, be selfish in your faith. And, and to an extent, when Ian came to Jesus in those early days and weeks, and even that first year, you better believe I, I had to be selfish to an extent, that I had, to, I had to be diligent, I had to be selfish to get all that God wanted for me. But do you know what selfishness is a sign of? Pride's a good answer, but I was looking for immaturity. Who are selfish? Children. Has to be taught out of them. You know, y'all know I do pest control. And I'll meet with people, all types of people, great people. But I'll be alarmed sometimes. You're talking to a customer and you find out they go to church. And I don't tell everybody I'm a pastor, but when the Holy Spirit leads me to, I share it. But, you know, some people just say some crazy things. People that you never would think would say that. You find out they've been a Christian 10, 20 years, and they're, they're not really worried about the world. Their, their heart doesn't grieve, and they might even say things like, well, I know where I'm going. And that's good and well, but that should grieve us, right? God wants us to shine so that we can be a light in a dark world. That's a sign of immaturity if we are using our faith in a selfish way. Do you see that? And if you can grow into your faith being about others, God can really begin to grow you and take you to the next level. We must make a decision that says no matter what, I'm going to follow God and I am going to serve others. What did Jesus Christ say himself? The Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve. Was he worthy to be served? Yes, he was. You may be the head honcho at your job. You might be worthy to be served because you've, you've put in your time, you've been there, you've done that. But the Son of Man did not come to be served. He came to. And if we lose sight of that, we've made our faith a selfish thing. And God wants it to, to fan the flames and when we do that, his kingdom is manifested through our personal sacrifices. Look at Philippians 2, 1 through 5. It says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? You better believe it. Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? This is what I love, these next few verses. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. What? Loving one another working together with one mind and one purpose, that being God's plan, don't be what? There it is. Highlight that for your own benefit today. Don't try to impress others. Why do we do that? We're all guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. Why do we feel the need for everybody in the room to know that we're the biggest, the best, the brightest, the smartest? If we could clothe, be clothed in humility and compassion, our faith could be about others. He says, be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take interest in others too. You must have the same attitude as who? Imagine that. Christ Jesus. You can have the mind of Christ if you want it. How do I get that, Pastor Ian? You got to search for it. You got to be looking for him. And he'll give you his thoughts. He'll give you his leadership. He'll tell you to go this way and not go that way. He'll tell you 
what to say to your spouse when you get into a heated argument. He'll tell you what not to say to your spouse when you get into a heated argument. He will be a lamp unto your feet to provide a path so that we can live, love, and lead in a radical way. These, these four verses, this is how we live and how we love and how we lead in God's plan, brothers. This is how we mark the world for Jesus and others. If you can do these things, if you can agree with each other and love one another, if you can work together in one mind and one purpose, if you cannot be selfish, if you can think of others and humble yourselves, you'll mark others in the world for Jesus. Others will recognize that you're different. Why are you different? Because you're following him. Look at the next point. So for the rest of the day, and I need to hurry up. we got two points left. We're going to talk about living for Jesus and his plan, and we're going to talk about loving. And next week, we're going to talk about how he wants us to lead in a, in a radical way. Look at this point says. God commands us to live a life of light. Say that word with me. Light. Living for Jesus sets us apart from the world. If God has saved you, shine bright. God's plan is that we would live. He's eternal life. He grants us eternal life. But what does he want to do while you're waiting to inherit your eternal life? He wants you to live. He wants you to have joy. He wants you to have peace. He wants you to have that hope. He wants your faith to be contagious. He wants to transform your life so that you can help transform someone else's life. I sent this picture to the media team this week because it was a great picture of what God wants to do with us. You can't really see it, but it has one light bulb that's shining bright, right? Surrounded by a bunch of other dead light bulbs. What happens when you live a life of light in a dark world? You shine God's holiness, his magnificence on everything that your life touches. Come on, somebody. You mark the world for Jesus. You mark others for Jesus when you live a light of life. The scriptures even talk about this, living a light, a life of light. Look at Ephesians 5, 8 through 9. It says, for once you were full of darkness. I shared a little bit about my darkness today. It says, but now you have, there it is, light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good, right, and true. When you live a life of light, when Jesus Christ touches your soul, you better believe you're going to shine. When he deep cleans your life, the dark things that were dark will now shine bright. When you live a life of light, two things happen. Others are drawn to you because they're living in darkness. And even this dark world recognizes the love of God because it's different. Say that with me. It's different. You can feel it. God's love is pure and unadulterated. When somebody experiences the real love 